Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So, it is hard to believe, but this is the 100th episode of Parenting Impossible, and what a journey it has been. I am having a party. Uh, It's a lonely party, but I am having a party. So when I hit about episode 75, I started thinking about what I wanted my 100th episode to look like. And I was thinking about so many fun things that I wanted to do. Unfortunately, we were still in the middle of this pandemic, and I was really hoping that we were going to be out of this pandemic by then. But the, you know, COVID just raged on and on, and things did not get better. Things did not improve as fast as we all would have liked. It's been a year, just about a year since we hit lockdown. And not the kind of anniversary that you want to hit, not the kind of anniversary you want to be in. It's it's been you know, it's been pretty unreal. Um but 100 podcast episodes is definitely something to celebrate and I wanted to make this episode be about something very near and dear to my heart, something very important. And I wanted it to be a celebration of life. So when I started thinking about what I wanted this 100th episode to be, I had dreams and visions of it being a live episode, of having a party, of doing a live interview, of having it be a video of being able to have some live music of having a longer than typical episode and you know it didn't come off and that's okay maybe the 200th episode will be like that maybe we'll do that for a hundred and ten episode or 125th episode or something we will get there And one of the things about being a special needs parent, being a person with a disability, being in this disability community that I have learned, one of the things about being through this year of the pandemic that people who have not lived in the disability community, but who have now been exposed to our life, what you have all learned is flexibility. You've gotten that dose of flexibility that we have always known needs to be there. And you are really learning to live like we have always had to live. And welcome to our world. Welcome to our planet. Uh, Welcome to Mars or welcome to Holland. I don't know if you've ever read that poem about welcome to Holland. Um, Not one of my faves, but it is one of the uh one of the things that you are often gifted when you become a new special needs parent but anyway um it it goes like you know you're expecting to take this wonderful trip to italy and you're expecting to um 
ride in gondolas and, uh, you know, eat pizza and see all of these wonderful things in Italy. But instead, you end up in Holland. And the things in Holland are just as beautiful, but they're different than what you expected. And that's what being a special needs parent is like. It's different, but it's still beautiful. So um, this episode is dedicated to different but beautiful. And it's been this year that has shown, I think, the rest of the world different but beautiful. Um, Although, you know, it's been hard on everybody. And so we've learned about flexibility this year. Everybody has learned about how life is just going to be different now. But we've learned flexibility, we've learned different, we've learned that we can work differently, we can do school differently, we can have community differently, and some things have not worked out great, but some things have, and we can adapt and take some of those things that have worked and we can move them from the temporary column into our permanent column. And I am looking forward to seeing the evolution, the metamorphosis for what life becomes next. So I look forward to being able to have a really full celebration and doing a live event someday. I really do. Not um, right now, but maybe this year, hopefully, and it'll be wonderful and it'll be video. I'll get my hair done. We'll do some makeup. We will have some live music, but instead what I was able to do was really just awesome. So in honor of Elizabeth, my daughter and our family and so many families who have battled with rare disease. I was incredibly excited to have three parents on my show this week who have faced SMA with their children. And let me tell you about SMA in just just a minute. I'm going to get to that. But um, I do want to send out a thank you first to Senios Health and Lauren Clark and Edie Elkinson, who brought these women and these families into my life and in, onto our podcast. So thank you so much for introducing them to me and for allowing us to come together to have this wonderful conversation about spring and about life and about you know, just what it means to live with rare disease. And I say live with because, you know, we are talking about what used to be a death sentence. And um, I've lived that. It's, it's, it's not pretty. It's so overwhelming at times. And I wanted to, again, celebrate this 100th episode with a promotion of life and of the beauty of life and 
It's springtime. It's Easter. It's Passover. It's all of the beautiful things that spring brings to us. It's the 100th episode and all of the things that are to come with this podcast and all of the things that we have been able to do with sharing our stories. And a year of being through this pandemic and all of the things that we are becoming because of it. So I have had on this episode a phenomenal conversation with Jocelyn, Laura, and Megan, whose children are um, unfortunate to have a diagnosis of SMA And that diagnosis, as I said, was once uh, a death sentence. And we talk about that. Spinal muscular atrophy is one of the most common rare diseases, which is a weird thing to say. It's a severe progressive neuromuscular disease that can be fatal and affects approximately one in 10,000 babies. It causes difficulty with basic life functions such as uh, breathing, walking, swallowing, and is one of the leading genetic causes of infant mortality. So um, in honor of Rare Disease Day, which was February 28th, and in honor of my own family who uh, lost Elizabeth, my, my firstborn, to a rare disease, which was also a neuromuscular degenerative disease called mitochondrial disease. For those of you who don't know my story, I wanted to talk about SMA. I wanted to talk about some of the new treatments that are out there for SMA. And I wanted to talk about some of the issues that families face when they get a diagnosis like SMA for their child. There are so many things that go through your brain and so many things that you face as a family. There are sibling issues, there are parent issues, partner issues, there's medical issues, there's financial issues, there are community issues and Again, you know, we talk about in the podcast why it's important to tell your story, why it's important not to live like you're under a death sentence cloud, um, why there's always hope, and what we can do going forward, and why we always are moving forward. So I wanted to make sure that this 100th episode was an episode of hope and was an episode where we once again talked about the importance of community and of telling our stories. And it was incredibly moving to me. I had a really great cry after meeting these ladies, um, and it was a good cry. It was not a sobby, weepy cry. It was a, a really good, joyous cry of, I'm so glad. I cannot believe my good fortune in being able to do this podcast and to meet the people that I get to meet like practically every day. I am the luckiest person on the planet 
that I get to do this this work, that I get to meet the most phenomenal people that I get to meet. Um, it's life-sustaining, truly. Uh, and I have Elizabeth to thank for that. The people that she has brought into my life, I can't even believe it sometimes. I want to pinch myself every day. Uh, it's it's amazing. So um, as I fade out here with my intro, you're going to hear a song by Craig Prom- Pomerantz, who ha- is performing a song that was written for him called Different. And it's a lovely song about being different. And um, it's beautiful. I hope you enjoy it. And then we're going to fade right into the interview. And, um, and then we will be talking with Jocelyn, Laura, and Megan about their children and being different and what our lives are like living with rare disease. So thank you so much, ladies, for being on the show. It was such an honor to spend the afternoon with you. And here we go. Catch a snowflake in each hand, perfect. Find two shells upon the sand, Perfect Each of them a wonder Neither quite the same Though they may be similar In form and name Girls play baseball, boys knit hats Different Some love dogs and some like cats Some are born to stand and sing Some are born to run All of us are family Sisters and daughters Brothers and sons Now we share this time and place On a ball that spins through space Underneath the same bright star More than what we think we are Every and tree and child special though some are tame and some grow wild special shining in the moonlight dancing in the sun perfect different special Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. 
Well, it's our 100th episode. I can hardly believe it. Well, I can believe it because I've been talking for 100 episodes. And today we are celebrating rare disease. And as you can imagine, if you've been listening to me for 100 episodes, and some of you have, thank you, thank you for all of you who've been coming back. We are celebrating rare disease because not only did we just pass rare disease day on February 28th, but because my dear daughter Elizabeth passed away from mitochondrial disease seven years ago. And it is a near and dear to my heart cause, something that I have participated in volunteering for, something that I continue to try to raise awareness for whether it's mitochondrial disease or other rare diseases, um, you know, rare is an issue uh, that I really continue to be involved in, in whatever way I can be an ally for. Um, being an ally is something that I talked about last week with Elizabeth Wright, and I hope that you tuned into that show. It, when you are not affected personally, being an ally, such as being a parent, a sibling, or you know somebody in the community is still an incredible way to participate and to be, to be part of being you know, part of the solution. So we're here today talking with three incredible mama bears, three incredible parents, Jocelyn, Laura, and Megan. Welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you so much Thanks for having us. So they're from all different parts of the country. We've got South Carolina, Ohio, and New York, and they are here talking about SMA. So I am going to start with who wants to volunteer to start off and tell us about yourself and to start introducing us to the topic of SMA. Who's going to be my volunteer? I'm Brave happy to soul. start. Good, Jocelyn. <laughs> Hi, my name is Jocelyn. Um, I am in South Carolina and I have um, four daughters who are still at home and one son who's off in college. Um, my daughters at home are 16, 12, 10, and nine. And my wow. two middle daughters, 12 and 10, um, have SMA type two. And I guess I can give the, the quick intro of SMA. Um, um, SMA is a neuromuscular disease that affects the SMN1 uh, gene. That gene is deleted and um, therefore affects the production of the proteins in the body that are needed for um, our motor neurons to function properly. And whenever those motor neurons are not fed properly, we're not able to fire our muscles. And as those motor neurons continue to die off, we have less and less muscle movement. Um, so my daughters are type two, which is considered uh, a more mild type. Um, they both use power wheelchairs for mobility and um, they have had significant surgeries for things like a G2 placement to help with nutrition, um, a spinal rod placement for correction of scoliosis and to open up their um, 
core and midsection to allow their lungs to develop so they can breathe. Um, and we've also had um, a few other orthopedic surgeries for pain issues or contracture issues to sort of give them an improved quality of life. Wow. They sound a lot like my daughter, Elizabeth. She had similar surgeries. Yeah. Yes. I actually have a, a close friend who lost a son to a mitochondrial disease. And I think that um, sometimes early in the diagnosing process, there is some crossover between the mitochondrial diseases and the, and the, and the neuromuscular diseases where it's which way is it going to go this way or that way. Mm -hmm. Thanks, Jocelyn. Laura, do you want to tell us about your family? Sure. Um, yeah, my name's Laura. I live in Ohio. I have two kids. Um, Elizabeth is my oldest. She's six and um, she was adopted at birth. And then my son Donovan is five. And when he was two months old, he was diagnosed with SMA type one, which is a more severe form of SMA. Um, and he has been fortunate, um, you know, when he was a baby, his, um, SMA was kind of our, the worst case scenario of like our diagnostic options with how his symptoms were, but it turned out to be a good time to be diagnosed with SMA because there was a lot of treatments being developed. And so he actually now has had two different treatments for SMA um, that allow him to function more similarly to an SMA type two child. Um, and, uh, yeah, so he is, um, you know, similar to how Jocelyn described her girls <clears throat> in, um, how he functions. He's actually, since he, he's just six, he is, um, just learning how to use this power chair. So that's kind of an exciting milestone wow. that we're working on right now. <laughs> cool. There's nothing cuter than watching a little one start to maneuver around in a power chair. It's so adorable. Yeah, it is. It's pretty cool. <laughs> Megan, tell us about your family. Um, I am Megan. I live in upstate New York. Um, I have two beautiful boys. My oldest son, Andrew, is on the autism spectrum. And my youngest son, Liam, uh, has SMA type 1. He was diagnosed with hypotonia at four months old. And then after some genetic testing, we were told it was, well, before we got the results, we were told it was going to be either congenital muscular dystrophy or spinal muscular atrophy. So naturally we did, you know, some research and just seeing all the symptoms online, we were like, okay, we know it's SMA, you know? So, mm -hmm. uh, but at the time it, you know, none of the treatments were listed online. So the prognosis we kept seeing was just 18 months, 18 months, 18 months. So we thought we were going to have like maybe a year if we were lucky left with him. Um, so we were absolutely elated when we found out that there were treatment options available. And now we are blessed beyond measure. And he's actually, there are three FDA approved treatments for SMA and he has actually been lucky enough to receive all three of them. Um, and we have seen some really, really amazing gains. I mean, we're even in the process of planning his scoliosis correction surgery, which I mean, not to sound completely morbid or anything, but kiddos with type one SMA 
you know, may not have been in the position to um, be strong enough for surgery or, you know, even make it long enough to need surgery. So we are in the position to like, even be planning this is just kind of, I mean, it's terrifying, don't get me wrong, but yeah. um, it's, it's exciting to know that like, before we didn't know if he was going to make it to his second birthday. Now we're planning his third birthday that is on the 12th. So right. it's just, it's nuts to me. And it's, it's, I mean, it's, it's a blessing for sure. That's awesome. Well, let's talk a little bit about those treatments. What are they? So if, if I'll, I'll kind of, we'll kind of go back around again. Um, I adopted Layla from uh, China in 2013. And when we came back to America, we actually didn't, we didn't know that she had SMA. Um, when we adopted her, we, um, worked on genetic testing for the next six months or so. So we got our diagnosis in May of 2014. She was um, three and a half at that time. Um, so actually we were sort of on the, on the pioneering front end of just as treatments were getting far enough in trials that children were actually receiving, beginning to receive those treatments. So we, um, applied Layla for the the drug trials in Orlando, Florida. So we made trips down there from South Carolina over the next couple of years uh, where she received um, the, she was part of the initial drug trials for the first FDA approved drug, which was Spinraza. That, that drug is actually um, received via spinal tap um, every four months in That's our kids. Scary. Um, oh, so that it was, um, sort of an amazing time to be there and to see that very first treatment come online. And people were just, of course, ready to run to it, nosedive to it, anything. I mean, it's just anything to give hope in a disease right. that is absolutely a death sentence before this point. Um, what people didn't bargain for or what people don't really think about when you just want something is the sort of long-term medical trauma and emotional effects that that kind of a treatment can have when you're going every four months. And um, I think Layla has really faced the brunt of that. She's my 10 year old. And, um, you know, we sort of, we've ended up on antidepressants and other medication just to sort of uh, level her out whenever she's dealing with so many treatments and so much intervention all the time. And about the time you sort of um, get it back together after one treatment, then you're headed back to it again. Mm. Um, so we did the drug trial for a couple years and then that, that drug was approved in, y'all tell me if I'm wrong, 2016, I think um, that drug was finally approved in 2016. And so we have been doing those um, treatments at our local hospital. We uh, finished the trial and moved to our local hospital to continue those treatments. And then um, I'll, I'll leave the, so how that drug works is it, um, we actually have a copy of the SMN1 gene is the SMN2 gene, and it is a slow production of that same protein that we need, but it doesn't produce at the same rate that the SMN1 gene would produce. So by having the, the drug the drug's purpose is to increase production of the protein through that SMN2 gene. So it helps produce what is needed to help keep motor neurons alive. Wow. Um, 
the so I'll skip the second one. I'll let one of y'all tell about the second one because my, my child, my children haven't received that. But the third FDA approved drug is Avrizd, and it is an oral medication taken daily. And it is the same, um, it is under the same premise as the initial drug to increase the production of that SMN2 protein. And so for us, especially, I guess we started uh, just a few months after the pandemic really hit. So I think we did one round of treatments in the hospital um, after the pandemic was here. And actually our treatment was delayed for a while because of the pandemic. Mm -hmm. But now we have this drug at home that we're able to take daily. And of course, for my girls who were sort of uh, taking the brunt of the, the medical trauma as a result are really happy to have a drug that we can take at home orally every day. It comes on the UPS truck every couple of weeks. We take yeah. it every morning. And that's a huge change in what we did before. Not only the trauma of the procedure itself, but my, my older daughter, Maisie, always had pretty significant side effects afterwards. So she was usually in bed for a couple of days, sick or not feeling well from spinal headaches or other sorts of things as a result of the spinal tap. So now we are on a daily oral drug, that's a RISD. And um, so we're really, that it's been a huge change for our family to have access to that daily oral drug and to take that um, logistical nightmare of a process out of our, out of our, life every four months so that's awesome that's great wow. yeah um I can continue on a little bit so my son Donovan when he was born we were kind of given the you know there's no FDA approved treatments um he, you know, life expectancy, 80% of kids don't live past age two. If they do, likely they're, um, have a tracheostomy, um, children with SMA type one, you know, they don't roll, they don't sit, they don't hold their head up, they don't swallow, but they are cognitively, um, aware and there's not a cognitive effect. And so it's a, um, yeah, just a really um, kind of hard to wrap your head around diagnosis. And at first, we did not want to do any treatments. We wanted palliative care because the picture that was painted was so bleak. Right. And um, it just seems so scary. And I'm me, who's never, my husband is a nurse, but I like don't have much experience with hospitals and, you know, that sort of thing. And so, like, it all was scary. And he was so little, um, you know, when we were finding these things out, he was like four and five weeks old. So he was so tiny and, you know, he's getting poked and like, it was just awful. Um, and we went to our first clinic appointment and this doctor um, kind of like came and grabbed us and was like, I have to talk to you. We were like, okay, um, you know, what does that mean? Nobody wants to talk to you when you get, and that, well, I mean, they want to talk to you because they want to help you, but they're not excited to talk to you when you have like a new SMA diagnosis. And so we were kind of like put off and she was like, no, I have to tell you, we're doing this um, clinical trial. And it, we were at um, the hospital in, in Ohio, which is where it was taking place. And um what they were doing with this drug that has now been FDA approved under the name Zolgensma is um, 
actually replacing that SMN1 gene that is missing and um, through gene therapy. And so it's a one-time infusion and um, motor neurons in your spinal cord don't replicate like other cells. So the, at that time, hypothesis was that if you put it in there, then it'll stay um, and that you won't need um, further injections that, you know, once you have it, you have it and it will allow the body to start sending those, building those proteins that it needs to move muscles, um, which is just sounded like Star Wars to me. Like, it was like, I was like, what? Like, <laughs> what is this? You know, it um, sounded so crazy. Um, but there weren't um, a lot of side effects. It was un not invasive. And so we were like, okay, like we're getting this opportunity. So Donovan was the 15th kid ever to get that drug. Wow. And he was a very weak type one. I mean, he started showing symptoms at like two or three weeks old. I didn't um, recognize them right away. Cause I, you know, he was eating, drinking, crying, you know, doing all the baby things. And I hadn't really got to the point of, you know, working on, you know, rolling and sitting and that stuff. So I didn't realize just how weak he was. And um, so by the time he got dosed, he already had a feeding tube. We didn't have uh, any ventilation respiratory support yet, but we probably should have looking back. Um, and, you know, he could like wiggle his fingers and toes and that was about it. Um, and his cry, he did cry, but it was very quiet and weak. And um, so it's really amazing. Um, and, and I just tell that because I want people, if anyone is listening to this who has an SMA baby and they feel like I did, like there's no hope, they're so weak, you know, you even look at some other children with the same diagnosis and feel like, gosh, you know, my child is so weak, um, that these treatment, it, it really helps him. And, you know, some children who get Zolgensma at a young age are able to walk and ride a bike and do those things. I mean, that's amazing. And I'm so happy. Um, that's not Donovan. Um, he had severe symptoms when he got treated. And so he still does have symptoms. Um, but he's really stable. He eats by mouth during the day. He holds his head up. He sits up. He can propel his manual wheelchair like around the room. Um, and so it does so many things that we just never thought. Um, and then about six months ago, we had decided to, um, once we were through the clinical trial with Silgensma, we had the opportunity to add Spinraza as well. But for some of the reasons that Jocelyn mentioned it being kind of a little traumatic and there wasn't any data on if it would give him any additional benefit or not, we decided not to do that. Mm -hmm. um, but about six months ago, we did start EverSD and we're, you know, and I had really low expectations. I didn't want to get my hopes up, but um, we're starting to see some improvement with that as well. Um, he can, um, he's starting to be able to use his hands are stronger. Um, he's, he used to, um, maybe he would write like one letter and then he kind of get tired. Um, and so he's been writing more. He can, um, he was squeezing a glue bottle, which he could never do before. Um, so we're seeing, yeah, we're seeing some like exciting things. He's eating better. Laura, um, I don't know what yeah. I would have done. I would have paid anything. Oh my gosh. Kind of improvement in my, I know. oh my God, I would have yeah. killed to see her eat and I know be able to write and, you know, I think that's oh certainly my. something that 
most people don't recognize either, even in like continuing treatment and like approvals and stuff like that with insurance is, you know, when you say, oh, well, hand strength has improved, they can write 10 letters instead of one. And it's like, well, what do you do? Who cares? You know, like, but (laughs) when you're living our life, it does matter. And everything counts whenever they have, whenever you're given the diagnosis, like Laura said, a kid who can't talk, can't swallow, can't sit up, can't do anything. And, but is completely cognitively aware. I can't imagine being trapped in that jail cell and laying there, not being able to scratch my nose. So anything, anything matters. Everything matters. Yep. Can you, can you tap a, you know, a tablet? Well then how many things can you do you know, right. through the, you know, like that's huge. You could work, you could right. write books, you could draw. The can't swallow thing and the can't stand up thing. Those all lead to all of those medical complications, like the pneumonia that ended up killing yeah. my daughter, yeah. you know? And so though that's where you just, you know, you get into this whole cyclical thing. And, you know, I, I want to talk about that whole death sentence you know, feeling. Um, We were talking about that a little bit before we hit the record button, ladies. Um, You know, what's it like to get that death sentence diagnosis and, you know, why you can't live under that cloud. You've got to, and, and it's so wonderful to know that there are these treatments out there, but even if you didn't have that, you just can't live like that you can't live under this cloud of it's a death sentence so let's chat about that because you've got a lot of people listening to you right now and there are some people who are getting this diagnosis or other rare diagnosis diagnoses like this and we've got to talk to those parents we've got to talk to those siblings and we've got to talk to those cousins and uncles and grandparents right now Megan, like do you want to chat with us about that? A lot too. I'm so sorry. I don't know who I just talked over. I'm so sorry. That's okay. <laughs> um, I feel like that's a big, like with that death sentence aspect, I feel like mental health really does come in into play a lot with that. Um, because like just as a caretaker alone, I personally have been diagnosed with like PTSD, anticipatory grief. Um, I have like anxiety and depression and that's just solely as a caretaker. I'm not even going through all the physical things that he has been through. I mean, this poor child, and like you said, the cyclical aspect of it, it was not unheard of at one point for him to be in the pediatric intensive care unit, you know, three times a month for aspiration pneumonia or, you know, anything like that, just needing all of these extra treatments, uh, respiratory treatments, um, you know, and we wouldn't want to stay at home just because he would crash so quickly, you know, and God forbid he needed to be intubated or something like that. We didn't feel safe being home. And we just saw so many scary situations, you know, in addition, I feel like I, I feel like it kind of really does all come full circle as far as getting that initial diagnosis, having that weight on your shoulders of wondering how much time you have left with your perfect child. Um, because I mean, looking at my five month old, perfect little infant, I mean, he was perfect. He had the most beautiful smile on the face of the planet, you know, Mm. it was, it was impossible to me to try to imagine how something so horrific could happen to someone so beautiful. And 
I know that personally speaking, working through that has been a lot of therapy, <laughs> like a lot of therapy. <laughs> yeah. it, it's that, that phrase anticipatory grief. It's not really anticipatory because you're, you're grieving now. You're losing stuff now all the time. You're experiencing loss immediately. Oh, absolutely. And you're mourning the, the loss of the life that you had initially dreamed of for your child. I mean, don't get me wrong. Once you get past that, that initial mourning and that initial loss, I feel like, you know, I was, I was able to, you know, you're able to come up with like new hopes and new dreams for, for your child. But then in that moment, it just feels like your whole world is caving in. Jocelyn, you mentioned um, about adopting and you didn't know when you adopted your girls that they had this diagnosis. Right. And yeah. it was a shock for you? Um, it, it was interesting. I don't know. I guess in some way, it, my experience, of course, is very different. I think it, it feels different. It's a different type of grief than a, than a biological parent. Um, um, Uh, <laughs> let me think. Um, in some ways, I sort of felt guilty for feeling um, sad or mournful or, or that I didn't feel that I was allowed to feel the same sort of grief. Um, we, we went to SMA conference shortly after mm. um, we got our diagnosis in May and we went to our first SMA conference in June. And this, like I said, this was literally right um, before the trials started really picking up steam and really taking um, a lot of a lot of patients on, and the the anger and grief and anticipation and the intensity in that room was really scary for me, and also very. Um, I just, I, I felt very much kind of like an outsider. This was something that a lot of these people had been experiencing or going through for many years of their lives. And a lot of them had had children that they lost already and then had more children with SMA that were currently fighting. Yeah. And to sort of walk into it from the outside, um, I, I, I think... I don't know this because, but I, I have heard other parents say that there's certainly an element of guilt that they experience because, because of its genetic factor and that sort of thing. So I didn't really experience that either. Um, yeah. It's like that with Mito too. Yes. And um, I did, I did struggle a lot with doctors and things like that. I mean, we had just adopted this beautiful baby girl. We had just sort of rescued her from the third depths of hell, honestly, and from where she was and what, what her life was going to be. And so, of course, I was filled with hope and anticipation for her future and to sort of have that pretty much immediately squashed that we had basically that what we had done was in vain because she wasn't going to live anyway was um, not something that I was really ready to hear or accept. And, and I didn't, I pretty much 
quit seeing those doctors and found other doctors <laughs> who <laughs> would do something. And even if, you know, even if we, we, like you said, you can't live under that umbrella. You don't know if it's going to be tomorrow or 10 years from now. And in the meantime, there are things that need to be done. There are things that she needed to improve her quality of life, yes. therapies she needed, equipment she needed. And we're not going to be anticipating, oh, well, she's not going to be here anyway. There, it's time to get to work and get things done. Mm-hmm. Right. All three of you exhibit that for sure. That, you know, you just got down to work, the work of the mama bear and you know lined it all up you know okay so what's next what are we going to do of course you're grieving of course megan you needed to take care of yourself and you needed to you know get to the therapist and deal with your anxiety and you are taking care of all of that but in the interim you're still doing what you need to do for your son you know you're doing it all so Oh, absolutely. You can't take care of anybody else if you can't take care of yourself. You can't yeah. pour from an empty cup. Yep. Absolutely. One thing that my husband says is that statistics mean nothing to the individual. I don't know if that's a quote from somewhere or where he got that from, but I think it's really true. And see, I, I think that I, you know, my first diagnosis day, they were like, I felt like I had no hope. And then we got into this clinical trial and I was given some hope, but that was scary. And it was hard for me to um, let myself sit there. I think for a long time, probably years, I still felt like, you know, he could go at any moment. And and I think that I I like that saying because, you know, even if you are told 80% of children live to this song, I don't, I only have one child. I don't really, it doesn't really matter to me, you know, the statistics over generations and thousands of people. um, Because I don't know. I I will never know, you know, what's going to happen and and he could have an accident tomorrow or he could live to, you know, an old age. You know, I, I don't know. And I think that it's really difficult, but somehow, and, and I don't know that I've fully done it, but I would like to be able to live in that space of uncertainty, um, you know, hope for the best, plan for the worst, um, but not be controlled by that. And pray, and, pray, and pray. Yeah. <laughs> and yes and I think that it goes both ways because in those those first babies that we were in a group with where none of us knew we didn't have a lot of data to go off of but the early results seemed really good that you know these kids were going to do really well it was kind of scary we were like well do you buy a wheelchair or do you just hope that they're going to walk do you use a special stroller or do you just, you know, or is that giving in, you know, and I think that some of those have decisions are really tough when you, when you don't know. And and my perspective has been like, well, I want to give them as many resources as I possibly can. And if some of them prove to not be helpful, well then, oh, well, we'll, you know, we'll get rid of them. There's no reason. I know. I went Um, a little crazy myself in the beginning with my daughter and we did, a bunch of things like we like these were our last days and then it took me a little while but I calmed down you know and I think that happens to a lot of people 
I love the story and there are so many versions of this, but the story of the older like grandfather with the younger child who are out walking along the seashore and all of the starfish who uh, wash up on the shore and the gentleman picks up one starfish and throws it back into the sea. And the young child asks him why he does that because you're never going to be able to pick them all up before you know, the tide comes back in to save them. You're never gonna be able to save them all. And the gentleman says, but I'll at least be able to save this one and this one and this one. So your, your comments, Laura, are that, you know, I only can do what matters to this child. You know, we don't have control over a hundred thousand or, you know, the statistics of the 80%. But right now we have to focus on our family or maybe our small community. And so that is really telling, you know, that's, that's what, what you can do. And I think that's really important sometimes to keep yourself from going crazy. Just focus on what you can control and what you can manage. And that keeps the anxiety at bay. Mm -hmm. What do you think about that, ladies? I think being able to think logically while dealing with your anxiety is mm -hmm. like, pretty solid struggle <laughs> you know yeah. I struggle I struggle to be like personally when I'm dealing with anxiety like I'll have that logical thought in my head and I'll tell myself like this is ridiculous you're acting ridiculous calm down everything is fine nothing is happening it's fine but then that anxiety will just kind of take over like no we need to go into lockdown we start sick protocol come on let's go mm -hmm. you know so it's mm -hmm. like for whatever reason that anxiety takes over every single time so that's obviously something I still need to work on but <laughs> you know I definitely well, I really about... love that take on that a lot though that's I really love that perspective let's talk about what happened this past year though because a lot of people I think you know, got a little glimpse into what our life with rare disease has been like, you know, they have started living a little version of what life has been like for us with having to stay home, homeschool or distance learning, um, you know, not being able to go out to the store, not being able to have, be able to go to their favorite restaurant, you know, a lot of things that were inaccessible to us for, for oh, forever. <laughs> That's, you know, they, they're just getting this glimpse. And for us, it's been kind of life, not life as usual, but, you know, a lot more of the same. And so we've been, kind of like, yep, yep, okay, yeah, this is kind of, you know, what it's been like. And um, what do you think about that? What kinds of conversations are you having with people about that stuff? In the beginning, I heard a lot of people say, you wash your hands this frequently all the time? Yes, yeah, yes, I do. Always. Why do you think my hands are always cracked? Yes, I always wash yep. my hands this much. <laughs> yeah. We go I through remember, this many paper towels all the time, this much yeah. antiseptic all the time. Yeah. <laughs> Jocelyn, what were you going to say? Um, I, I just remember calling the school 
um, I'm pretty sure it was March 11th. It was a Friday and I let them know that day that my children would not be returning to school the next week. And um, at the time they were, you know, I, I have four girls in the school system and the protocols and things that I have set up for the two girls with SMA is a little bit different than the other two girls. Um, and so they were trying to tell me that it would be easy enough for me to pull out my two girls with SMA because we already had sort of homebound protocols set up, but that the other two, it was going to be a different scenario. And I basically told them that I didn't really care what kind of paperwork they needed to fill out or what kind of note they needed to write in a uh -huh. file that my children would not be returning on Monday. Um, and interestingly enough, they ended up making the call that weekend that no one would be returning to school the next week anyway. So it sort of all became irrelevant, mm. but um, um, I do think that it has given people a little bit of perspective. I, I, maybe I'll let somebody else talk about that part, but um, for me, it's been a pretty dang good year actually, in, in the scheme of all that's been going on. Um, it was quite a huge relief to me to not run the roads every day of the week with therapies and doctor appointments and drag all your kids two hours to sit through an, an appointment for 30 minutes that really could have been done via telehealth. And now all of a sudden those people are doing those things via telehealth. Yeah. Or um, people making smart decisions about oh, there's a, a lot of sickness in the physical therapy office right now. Maybe we won't have physical therapy. Um, and even masks and things like that. I know everybody has their opinions about the masks and all that, but all of us special needs moms have had enough sense to put a mask on our face when we had a cold before we handled our child for many, many yep. years. Yep. And um, I'm quite hopeful that maybe I won't look like such a freak when I go out in public in the <laughs> long term when I choose to wear a mask because I have a little cold or because of whatever, or if I choose to put a mask on my child, if we are going to be in a situation where I feel they may be more exposed or in closer contact with people. I think we could have all saved ourselves a couple of hospitalizations and a couple of rounds of sickness just simply from someone having a basic courtesy not to sneeze all over us or to wear a mask because they knew they were sick or maybe, oh, I don't know, stay home, which was never a normal thing. And now people are like, oh, I have a sniffle. I better stay home. And it's like, yeah, as you should have in the, in all these years past. So um, it's, it's actually brought a lot of change to my life logistically. And I feel like I have a little bit more power um, where maybe in some ways I was sort of dragged about by all the requirements of, well, you should be seeing a pulmonologist and you should be seeing a this and you should be seeing a that. And now I can pretty much just say, no, I'm sorry, we won't be, you know, coming to the office for this appointment. If you would like to check in with us via telehealth, we're happy to do that. Um, and so it's really made a huge difference for me in, a, in terms of empowerment and in terms of making some calls about what really is necessary and what is just what we think we have to do because someone told us we did. I love it. I love it. Laura, what do you think? Well, I, I, was thinking about, I think that I had a little bit of an advantage as far as coping with things being different or things being difficult. We seem to always get sick around holidays, like ever since someone was born. I don't know why. Um, and I remember, I don't know if the first holiday maybe it was Easter when we started lockdown and I was on like a mom's group and everyone's like, 
our Easter's ruined because we can't have the neighborhood Easter egg hunt or, you know, people like getting yeah. upset or things. I'm like, you know what? Like, you just got to find the fun, you know, like there's, it's different. It's weird, but we're going to have a, I don't know, Easter egg hunt in our living room or we're going <laughs> to, it's like, yeah. you, you got to think outside the box. Um, you know, we've decorated the hospital room for holidays or um, done it on a different day or, you know, whatever we need to do. But um, yeah, we've had, a, I feel like we've had a, a good year too. And I think that something I've learned, um, gosh, we tried to put um, a lot of children who are similar to Donovan in that, you know, when they were diagnosed and treated, um, seemed to have a better time with sickness, but he still really struggles with sickness. And um, we tried to put him in like, I think three different preschools and he just would always get sick, just keep getting, and I'd be like, okay, well, if I keep him there, he's going to get used to the germs and then he won't get sick as much, but it's just w- never worked out. Uh-huh. And um, so we've been homeschooling this year and it's been awesome. <laughs> like yeah. my kids are, and we've had both kids at home and like, they're having fun. And I'm like, if we could do this, plus, you know, things open up a little bit and we're able to like do some things where we can control the germ exposure a little bit, like our life is so much better and maybe that won't work forever. You know, once they get a little older, they might not be happy to do that. And I'm willing to let them, you know, do school again, but that, um, yeah, I think being willing to try things, you know, that was just never something that I thought I would do. Um, but it works really well for us. And, um, yeah, so I think that, you know, hopefully if there's something positive that can be taken out of this year, it's that we've learned to be a little more flexible. Yes. Exactly. I forgot to say that I'm homeschooling all of mine too. I pulled all of mine from school as well. So we're, I'm homeschooling all four girls right now too. Are you actually homeschooling or are you just distance learning? No, we, we attempted the virtual school thing for about six whole days and um, they, the district, the school district also pulled all of my, you know, two of my girls qualify for one-on-one support in a classroom setting, but they said that that didn't count or wasn't needed in a home setting, even though there was still these rigorous classroom expectations on the number of hours they're supposed to be logged in and how much work they're doing and all these things. Um, so after one week of literally running around my house like a racetrack, trying to keep all three girls logged on at the right times and my, my youngest who I haven't really talked about um, has significant, she has spina bifida, but she has significant learning delays that go along with having spina bifida. And it was, a- it was absolute chaos. We did it for six days. And then I basically just said, if I'm going to do this, I might as well just homeschool. And we have had a wonderful year of discovery mm-hmm. and learning. And it has taken us a whole year for sure to sort of, to sort of find our path and relax into it and for mom not to feel like she was going crazy but I've seen some amazing results in all the girls and kind of like what Laura said it's been quite a pleasant year we had this long beautiful spring together last year and I'm so excited that spring's finally coming again where we sort of you know explored outside and checked out all the different weeds that were growing in our yard and figured out all the names of them and you know right now we're studying North American birds and all the birds are starting to flock back this way. So we're tracking the birds in our backyard. It's cool. Wonderful. What I love is just that we have choice. Yes. And everybody can do what works for them. You know, that's the most important thing is that we have choice and what works for each family for sure. So I wanted to 
just make sure that we talk about, you know, why, so why I started this podcast was the same reason that I wrote the book, wrote my book was to make sure that, uh, that we get information out there and connect with other families and connect with our community because they're just, at least when my family was younger and my daughters were growing up and I was a young mom, I just did, I was so lonely. There just wasn't enough information out there. Of course, we didn't have this big old internet, but, um, and I know I'm older than dirt. I'm not young like you people. So, um, you know, but the thing is telling our stories is so important. And this podcast is the perfect place to do it. So I'm so grateful that you guys were willing to come and tell your stories. So I want you to just spend a minute talking about that aspect of it. You know, why we tell our stories in your own words. You know, I talk, I just told you why I think it's important to tell our stories, but why why do you tell your story? You know, why is it important to you to kind of out yourself <laughs> and put it out there? <laughs> I think it's important because, I mean, up until Liam was diagnosed with SMA, I had never heard of spinal muscular atrophy. Mm -hmm. And I think that even if it's a, on a subconscious level, we all kind of have that mindset where it's, well, it's not going to happen to me, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. And the next thing you know, it's like you're struck up side the head by a two, like with a two by four yes. and your whole world comes crashing in, you know? And I feel like once we get our story out there and once we get that awareness out there, I feel as though if more people are aware a, not only will people, like, if they're put in that situation, albeit rare, it is still a possibility. Mm -hmm. If they're put in that situation, they're going to know that they're not alone. They're going to know that they have a support system that they can reach out to, to be like, hey, I can reach out to, you know, Megan or Laura or Jocelyn or whomever and say, okay, I know that they know how it feels to be going through what I am going through right now and just have that support system to lean on and really yeah. also to bring awareness as to what our kiddos go through because I feel like that's that's underestimated a lot. I know that especially on social media a lot of a lot of what's shared is just like sunshine and rainbows and you know yeah. we always talk about like all of the amazing progress that our kiddos make but you know not terribly often is it shared you know the you know the scary situations or the situations that they struggle with on a regular basis. Like Liam, thankfully we're over it now, but for the longest time, since he had been poked and prodded so stinking much, he would hear his occupational therapist come in and she would just say, hi guy. And he would just start crying because he uh -huh. thought that he was going to be poked and prodded and you know, oh, the whole nine. And it's, Exactly. And it's just, it's so, it's so stinking heartbreaking to watch your child. Cause I mean, when I tell you he is a social butterfly, he is probably the most social child I've ever met in my life, you know? Mm -hmm. So then to see him react that way to somebody saying hi, he wouldn't even see your face and he would have that reaction, you know? Yeah. 
I feel like we need to bring awareness to that too. My daughter, Elizabeth, who was blind, by the way, would know the minute we pulled up to children's hospital for an appointment, she would hear, smell, I don't know what, she would just know and would be freaking out upset the second we would get near the place. And it was heartbreaking, heartbreaking. I can't really agree with what you're saying, Megan. I think also like on a bigger scale, it's important to tell our stories um, because it is what will make our, you know, even our global society um, more successful and, and, and improve it as we become more aware of people who aren't like us. And, you know, even, you know, for me hearing um, Jocelyn and Megan's stories that um, though we have some things in common, there are things we don't have in common. And, um, you know, and so I think it's really important um, that that is something that is acceptable and normal to talk about your story, to talk about the things that you've been through to share um, and that we're also prepared to listen um, because we, you know, especially in the United States at the moment, we have a really divided country and there's a lot of tension and a lot of um, people struggling in various ways. And I think that the only way out of that is for us to be like open to learn about what other people go through and you, you kind of have a different perspective. Um, you know, I've struggled, especially when Donovan was a baby, I had been really active in my church um, up until then. And people didn't understand that my life was different. And so there's a lot of tension and people feeling I probably let down by me, but me also feeling misunderstood um, when I would say no, when I would not come to things. Mm. Um, when I wasn't the same person that I had been before because of what I was going through and dealing with, um, wow. and, uh, yeah. So I think that we need to, um, be able to get outside of our own bubble, to walk in someone else's shoes, to hear that. And I think that, you know, like, and I was saying by, you know, reading biographies by, you know, um, listening to podcasts, you know, I love listening to podcasts and listening to different people from different perspectives talking. So I hope that this reaches is helpful to people who, may have an SMA child or a rare child with a rare disease, but also if you don't, that, um, you know, you might be willing to hear, or you work with families like ours, um, right. that, you know, it's just, it's different. There's unique things about, about this life. Excellent. That was really great to hear. What do you think, I have One little bit to add to that. I would, um, I agree with Laura and what she's saying. I, um, come again from a little bit, bit different perspective in that um, my girls being adopted, that's part of my story that is super important to me because um, I think there is a lack of emphasis or a lack of belief that, that every life has value and that um, especially people with a significant disability or significant illness, you know, whenever we have spent sort of a, a portion of our lives in lockdown, or there are adults who literally live their lives in lockdown because they have no transportation or they have no access to jobs and that sort of thing. And 
um, I guess part of my desire in raising awareness is I want my girls to have every opportunity that I've had to have the, you know, to be able to succeed in life, to be able to have a job, to be able to have access to services and things like that. And um, I think we have a really long way to go. Um, as Laura mentioned, in our divided country and our and our lots of discrimination, um, the most discriminated group in our entire world is people with disabilities, despite yeah. their despite their color. And um, there are so many minimized expectations where we we can't just walk into a restaurant or we can't just um, go into a store and expect that things will be accessible to my girls, that the aisles will be wide enough, that there won't be stuff shoved in the way, or that someone won't give you guff whenever you ask them to make it accessible, even though it should be. Right. Um, and I, I mean, yep. we're, we're active people. We have a desire to live life and go places and do things, but we're quite limited having two kids in power chairs. And um, there are places where I feel that we are a burden or that we are taking up too much space when we walk in with two power chairs and we expect to be able to sit at a table together or to be, to be in a place um, where two power chairs can have enough room to move around and them not feel like they're imposing on someone. Sure. um, Absolutely. So, and it's so important. I think that's something that's pretty big too, is the guilt that they feel too. I think that that's something we, we all need to be conscientious about as a whole. And that's something that I've just recently, like even, begun to think about the things that come out of my mouth as far as like when I pick up my son I said oh you're getting so heavy I mean nothing by it but I never would have thought how that would have affected his psyche same with going to dinner with your girls I would have never thought about how they felt like they were in a position you know and it hurts my heart that they feel that that they have been in the position to feel that way and I feel like in order to do better we need to be better and to be better we need to raise that awareness for sure Yeah. Well, ladies, it's so hard to believe that we have spent an hour together. I could talk to you all day. Um, This has been an amazing show. It has been such an honor to spend my hundredth episode with all of you. And you are just the friends that I would have, you know, loved to have coffee with, or really a glass of wine, probably. But before we end this beautiful hundredth episode, I would love to know if you have any last words of advice to leave our audience with, because we know that people are listening who really desperately need some support and probably are kind of hanging on every word right now and are maybe feeling that loneliness or that, you know, that need for community right now that we have all felt at some point in our lives. So for those folks out there that are maybe just starting on this journey or for people who want to support and be an ally to somebody who's on this journey, what, what lasting words of advice or, or last little tidbit do you want to leave people with? I say for those people who are in that desperate place or are in need, 
um, not to not to feel guilty and not to be afraid to make your needs known. I think that um, on the other side of that, there are lots of people who do want to help and want to reach out, but maybe don't know exactly what to do, don't know the right thing to say, don't know what the right thing to offer. And um, I, many times when I have been given the opportunity to speak up or share or speak a, speak a deep need, it has been joyful and quickly satisfied by someone who really wanted to do that. Awesome. Great advice, Jocelyn. Thank you. What do you think, Megan? Truthfully, I think, and I don't mean to sound like cliche or anything like that, but I feel like any advice that I would give would be no matter how hard it seems now, no matter the difficulties you're going through or your child's going through, it's not going to last forever. And I think that at the end of the day, we just need to remind ourselves, even if it's taking it day by day, step by step, minute by minute, you just have to promise yourself that you're never going to give up and you're always going to advocate the best that you can. And you're going, you, you just have to do the best that you can. And by never giving up, that's doing exactly that. No, that's lovely. That's beautiful. I, um, I think that I have a few mantras that I kind of keep in my mind as I'm going through and, and they are a little cliche, but I think that's okay. And one of them is one day at a time. And so I try to, you know, when I get overwhelmed and I'm, I'm thinking about the to-do lists and the, you know, all the things I haven't done, just trying to think one, you know, what am I going to do today? Um, and what things can wait till tomorrow and that's okay. And, um, also I would say, you know, if someone is facing a new diagnosis, um, and it's really scary and it seems really overwhelming, um, you know, there will be happy days ahead. Um, and it can seem like all you can see is darkness. And I, and I think that that there are dark days. I'm not going to um, tell you there aren't but there are happy days too. And I'm um, looking for that joy and finding that um, is really important um, to surviving. And I, and I also would say that, <laughs> um, you know, when you're facing a new diagnosis and, um, you know, I talk about the things that my son can and can't do um, because I want people to have a realistic perspective on what it means to live with SMA, even with treatment, but, um, there are a lot of things that aren't so easily categorized. You know, he is, um, he loves his family. He's very smart. Um, he likes to read, he likes to play video games. You know, he's just, um, he's a kid. He's a regular kid. And we have, in a lot of ways, we have a regular family and we do all the things that everyone else does. Um, we might just be slower <laughs> or a little different. Um, and that's okay. Um, so there, there is joy and you just have to be able to, um, it might not be the way you imagined it to be, but, but it is there to be found. That's, that's really sweet. Thank you, Laura. Well, you ladies have been incredible. We are going to have lots of contact information in the show notes, especially for people who need support around SMA diagnoses and for other, um, other types of rare support, um, there'll be other contact information there as well. 
I am so grateful to all three of you. Thank you so much for coming on the show and for sharing this milestone with me. And um, thank you so much, audience. Oh, you are so welcome. Um, we are going to play the song different again on the way out. So thank you for listening and have a great afternoon. Thanks for listening to this 100th episode of Parenting Impossible, the Special Needs Survival Podcast. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed recording it. If you did, I would so appreciate it if you could leave a happy rating and review. These reviews are incredibly important so that we can get this content out to people who need it in our disability community. So scroll down and leave that great five-star rating and a very happy review. Please let us know what you think. Connect with me on social in all of the places that I normally am, whether it's LinkedIn or Twitter or Facebook or connect with me at specialneedscompanies.com. I so appreciate it. And so do my guests. And you can connect with them by scrolling down and looking at the notes on each episode. Thank you so much. And please listen to the song Different by Craig Pomerantz. Have a great day. Catch a snowflake in each hand Perfect Find two shells upon the sand Perfect Each of them a wonder Neither quite the same Though they may be similar In form and name Girls play baseball, boys knit hats Different Some love dogs and some like cats Different And sing. Some are born to run. All of us are family. Sisters and daughters, brothers and sons. Now we share this time and place on a ball that spins through space underneath the same bright star. More than what we think. Every bird and tree and child special Though some are tame and some grow wild Special Shining in the moonlight Dancing in the sun Perfect Different Special Many One